Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Veneer, joined once again by my good buddy Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored yeah. to welcome back the former voice of the uh, Winnipeg Winnip Gold Eyes, Steve Schuster. Steve, thanks for joining us here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, as always. Well, well Steve, exciting news for you here this week. So let's talk about the new position. So tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing here and how you got yourself into this job. Yeah, so I will be uh, I'm essentially a data analyst uh, for the Mets AA team in Binghamton. They're in the Eastern League. Um, so it's mostly in the northeast part of the United States. Uh, it's, uh, the team itself is in Binghamton, New York. It's a few hours north of, uh, of New York City. Um, so each of the affiliates in the Mets uh, minor league system has a, a position like this, and essentially they're uh, you know with the team the entire season. Uh, they'll travel with them. It's uh, it's not that different from kind of the broadcasting role that, that you'll see across minor league baseball. Um, we're just kind of like with the group um, at all times, and you know, essentially, my role is to just help uh, help the players, help the coaches, serve as a resource, and uh, just kind of help them answer any questions they might have about the uh, the vast array of information that's uh, that's available. Um, there is a lot of stuff available at the minor league level that's um, you know on par, I think, with some of the stuff you'll see at the major league level. It's just not necessarily. Uh, publicly available information, but it does exist. And, uh, you know, again, it's, uh, um, you know, essentially my role is to just kind of help the people um, involved in, in Binghamton uh, just kind of better understand that data and uh, help them um, put them in the best situation to understand that data so they can make the best decisions possible to um, help the player succeed and, and move on to the next level. Now, what leads you to a position to, to want to work in this role? Uh, it's really a lot of things that came together. I mean, you know, I wasn't necessarily, first of all, I wasn't necessarily looking to get out of Winnipeg. Um, you know, it's a, you know, I think it's the best radio job in the minor leagues. I love the people there. I love the city. Uh, it's, the, the history of the Gold Eyes is as rich as I think anyone, any team in, in minor league baseball, let alone independent baseball. Um, but I've always had a, you know, I've been interested in, the analytical side of the game and, you know, that continues to grow and grow every year. Um, but it was, you know, up until, you know, before the pandemic, I was really just a fan of analytics. Um, you know, I, I knew how to go to different websites and, and fan graphs and baseball savant. And I had a general understanding of, you know, what some of the newer numbers meant. Um, but there wasn't really a way to apply that um, to the American Association where, you know, there was a ready-made website, say, that had stuff like wins of our replacement or some of the other uh, useful information or metrics that are that are out there. And, you know, essentially, when all of us got laid off during the, you know, the early stages of the pandemic, which, you know, which a lot of people can empathize with, it happened in every industry. So, you know, March of 2020, we found out we were going to be laid off. Now, obviously, we did end up playing season that year, but we had no idea that was, you know, going to happen going down to Fargo. So um, there was really just uh, some desperation, I felt, on my part to, um, you know, who knew what the future of the Gold Eyes was going to be at that point. And I did have, you know, the silver lining. There, there was a lot of free time on my hands, and I just wanted to make the most of that free time and, and not kind of regret um, having just kind of sat around there for a few months down the road. And uh, basically, I just I signed up for a bunch of uh, online coding classes uh, to really help understand how to process and analyze and, and model data. 
um, and I took a bunch of certifications uh, that you know you might consider a little more old school in some ways, but we're still data driven. Um, whether it's the drive line or some other uh, baseball certification courses, just to kind of better understand uh, movement patterns and um, you know how pitchers and, and hitters, you know what they do and things that they need to do to try and, and get better. So it was a combination of, of the, the data training and the certifications. And, you know, thankfully things did kind of get back to normal. We, we played that little season in 2020 and, you know, we, we essentially played a normal year in, in 21 and, um, you know, really played a normal year this past year, you know, getting to spend the entire season in Winnipeg. And, um, you know, luckily I was able to, you know, apply some of the things I'd learned during the, thick of the pandemic and um you know there were some opportunities i became aware of and I've been away from home and from new york originally so i've been away from home for you know quite some time and um you know i think trying to get a little bit closer to family has been a lot more important here the last couple of years and uh you know it's one thing kind of led to another and um yeah i ended up uh you know going through a couple interviews with the mets and um you know they were you know i guess they were pleased enough to, to give me the opportunity and you know it was a really hard decision it was not an easy decision that, that, that's for sure um you know I really thought long and hard about this for several days and uh, I just kind of felt this was the the right fit at the at the right time so you know again I wasn't actively trying to leave Winnipeg I could have seen myself in Winnipeg for another 10 plus years if not more than that but um this is kind of the right move for me right now and um, I'm very excited about it and uh uh, I am going to miss the American Association, but uh, I'm excited for what's ahead. More importantly, are you going to miss the broadcast booth? Because I imagine being on the road, you're going to be traveling with whoever the Mets AA broadcaster is. Is there a chance that maybe you say, hey, if you ever have to take a night off, um, I can I can take it? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure... It hasn't really, uh, I don't think it's going to hit me until, you know, that first game where, you know, I'm out of field and not putting on a headset. But uh, and I, I really, like, I'm really excited about the work that I'm going to be doing in this role. So, um, you know, I'm sure I will miss the broadcasting side of it, but um, it's not like I've just taken some random nine-to-five job or, you know, some job where it's, you know, you're doing, you know, me, you know, menial type work and, you know, it, it, it's kind of grading on you by, you know, day three or four. Um, there's, you know, it just in kind of a different way. It, it's, it's like broadcasting where maybe your, your everyday routine is the same, but every day presents just new challenges and um, every day is really different in its own right. So it's kind of that good mix of, um, you know, routine, but also kind of unpredictability and, um, just trying to, you know, do your best to to try and tame some of that unpredictability. So, um, yeah, I'm sure I miss it a little bit, but I really am excited about uh, what I'm going to be doing. You know, I know at the at the minor league level that managers have to write out reports and things on guys, how well they feel they're progressing, and areas they need to improve on. So, are you are you going to find yourself where you're, you know, having a lot of, of you know, analysis that you have to send into teams and constantly update and provide progress reports for guys? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I've just in a couple of days on the job, I mean, there's a lot of collaboration, um, you know, where, you know, especially I think with the, the Mets who have really invested a lot in their, their infrastructure and, and the analytics department, um, you know, just the last couple of years alone, there's just a lot of collaboration, um, you know, with the, you know, 
the people that are in, in my role as the analyst with the minor league affiliates, but also people on the player development staff. Um, you know, each affiliate is going to have something called a, uh, development coach, which, you know, is, uh, fairly unique. Uh, I think there are some other major league organizations that have that, but, you know, in addition to having a, um, you know, a manager and hitting coach and a pitching coach, um, they have a, a development coach, which is, um, it's a, another, you know, kind of modern hybrid type role where, you know, you're just trying to help the players, um, you know, specifically get better in, in, in certain areas. So, um, you know, one thing I definitely have noticed is that everybody's really pulling on the same rope and, you know, ultimately, you know, in the minor leagues, we're just trying to, um, you know, help players reach the ceiling, either increase their ceiling and get to that new ceiling or, or reach the ceiling that they're, they're currently at. And, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have a lot of really, really great people in the organization. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm outclassed. I'm, I'm like the dumbest person in the room and I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I think it's going to be good for me to kind of, um, you know, help, help push me forward and, and try and be better every day. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. I would gather that, you know, kind of in a, in a, in an odd way, you get to have a, a fairly dramatic impact on a guy's progress. I mean, it, it, I understand that's their statistics, it's the job that they're doing, and things like that. But uh, feel any pressure in that? That you know, or is it just, hey, this is pure numbers, and I'm just, I'm just recording how the way this works out. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, like I said, we're just, um, we're just trying to do our best to help the guys get better and uh whatever um um you know whatever medium that happens to fall into um you know like i said there's they, they've re- the mets have really done a, a great job um you know investing in all these areas whether it's analytics um uh, you know player development uh, uh mental skills um things like nutrition um just everything to to try and put the players in the best position to, to succeed and to reach their ceilings and to, and to move on. So um, I don't think pressure is, you know, you forgot to study for a test and, you know, you're trying to wing it, you know, in school, you know, this is, you know, you're working in baseball every day. I don't think there's, there's pressure there. This is, uh, it's kind of a, a dream country, so to speak. So I don't really look at it that way. Do you get to go to Florida with um, the rest of the organization for spring training? Yeah, so that that that's the plan. So we're we're kind of working remotely uh, for now until the end of the month. We'll we'll go down to uh, Point St. Lucie, and that'll be kind of our, our first opportunity to actually um, meet and just kind of get to know the players on a on a personal level uh, that we're going to be working with over the course of the summer. And uh, once that's wrapped up, I think uh, Binghamton season starts the first week of April and uh, runs into mid September, and then. Um, you know, depending on whether or not there's playoffs, we'll, we'll have that. And then there's uh, instructional league, which is back down in Florida, where there's similar elements to, to spring training. It, uh, it's more of a kind of a, a development training type environment. Um, and then, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the cycle. So, um, you know, again, it's uh, it'll be new, it'll be fun, and I'm looking forward to it. Now, being from that area, did you grow up a Mets fan, or you're having to kind of absorb that now? Uh, no, I, I grew up as a Mets fan. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. Well, well Steve, you know, I, I, you're a guy who has had a set record-setting guy here in the American Association in terms of broadcasting, um, a guy who's recognized for the, your experience and expertise behind the mic. I, I'm a little curious if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a little bit about fond memories that you have of the league, so, some things that really stand out to you. 
Oh, that's, uh, I mean, there's too many to go over. Um, I mean, let's see. Um, I mean, I just think for one, I mean, the evolution of the league is, is just unbelievable. Um, when you really think about it and, um, and you could probably stretch it back to the start of the Northern league, but you know, I think the American association, um, you know, they don't think it's any secret. They, they kind of broke off from the Northern league, right. in in 2006, and you know, maybe there were some hard feelings there between the two sides at, at the time and which league was going to be better and, um, you know, how that was going to play out. But, uh, you know, I, I think you look at how things did play out and, you know, the American association is still standing and they ultimately, you know, absorbed or reabsorbed the teams that were the viable teams that were left in the Northern league. And, um, you know, just see the talent level get better the way it is. And, um, you know, I can't remember when I looked at this, but, you know, I remember counting in, in 2006, I just kind of looked at everybody's roster and I, I think they were, they were less than that whole year there were less than 10 like ex big league guys that had signed at the American association in 2006. And, um, you know, of course you go like two, three years ago and, and, you know, Kansas city had like seven ex big leaguers on the roster, like themselves, not even getting to the other 11 teams of the league. So, you know, I, I think that's a pretty good proxy for, um, how far the league has come and the types of players that it's attracting and the overall talent level. Um, but you know, you just get into things like, uh, you know, the markets, the caliber, the markets that uh, um, you know, the league has been able to move into and the, the quality of the ballparks and the quality of the managers. And um, it just, it really has, it's, it's gotten better. And, you know, there, there are teams that, uh, you know, I'll take Kansas city for an example, right. You know, they always in a great area. They drew well, um, fantastic ballpark. Uh, but they kind of, you know, I know they won a championship in 08 in the Northern league, but they, you know, you, probably if you look at their history from when they moved to Kansas city up until, um, you know, Joe Calpa PH's arrival in, in 2017, I think it's fair to say they underachieved for the most part on the field, um, given all the resources and, and, you know, the off the field success that they had. Um, so they were, you know, they were kind of an underachiever in that sense, but, you know, Joe comes in and then turns them into a powerhouse and, now that's another team that's got to be reckoned with along with, you know, the teams like, you know, Winnipeg and Fargo and, and the rail cats all those years under, under Greg Taggart. And, you know, it's, we've just kind of reached this point now where, you know, just about every team has a chance to some degree at the start of the year. And um, it's, it's hard to win one game in a row, let alone, you know, five or six games in a row, which is, uh, I think it's a good thing for the league when it's uh, competitive like that. And there's parity. And, um, you know, as, as Josh has said from the very beginning, when he took over as commissioner, um, you know, one of his goals was to make sure that the, you know, for the fans that the outcome of the game is in doubt every night. And, you know, I think for the most part, they've been able to, uh, to achieve that. So um, I just think the evolution of the league, um, just having been it every year, except for one, I started in 2007, um, just to kind of watch that firsthand. It's been really special. You know, we did this with Sean Aronson. So I think it's be good for you too. Um, Let's just go around the league. I'll bring up a team, and then you can just give me a memory or an opinion or just some reflection upon the market, Then We'll start with Fargo-Moorhead. Uh, what am I supposed to do again? 
Uh, just like a, a, a memory or just some thoughts on the organization or uh, anything that pops uh, into your head. Ah, uh, Fargo. I love Fargo. I really do. Um, I mean, you want me to be totally honest with you? The first thing that pops in my head of Fargo is Hornbachers. Uh, so Fargo, oh, yeah. in my opinion, had the best, their hotel is the best bang for the buck in the American Association. Uh, it's a nice holiday inn in a good area. It's, it's right across from the mall. Um, you know, maybe there are a couple of hotels that, you know, maybe they're a little bit nicer, but they're not in as, as good of a location to get food and, and just kind of, you know, go to a movie or, or whatnot, um, when you're on the road. Uh, so you've got the mall, there's like a Target, there's a Chick-fil-A, which is, which is great. Um, but like right next to the hotel is a Hornbachers, which is, uh, for those that, that don't know, it's just kind of a, a grocery chain store in, uh, in Fargo. And uh, I don't know what's so special about it, but it always seems like the, the prices were always good. The food was always fresh. Um, and they, they had like um, this kind of hot food bar that you can go in for lunch. And uh, basically you could get whatever you want and you get paid by, it was paid for by the weight. So if you like didn't like, vegetables and you only like like meat you can just fill up your thing with meat and it will cost the same as if you filled up your entire tray with uh vegetables or, or salad or something like that so that was uh that was always great i always go to hornbachers whenever we got off the bus um and do a little bit of a uh, food shopping there um so that really stands out about fargo but also i think the 2020 season that whole experience kind of living down there um you know seeing jack every day was awesome um, and just having the opportunity to play when so many people um, did not have the opportunity to, to play in 2020, um, that, that, that stands out as a, as a special memory. St. Paul. Hmm. Um, I will go with, yeah, it's got to be the, the 2016 Division Series. Um, you know, I'm sure as you remember, um, Tony Thomas at the walk-off in game three. And um, I think any baseball observer fan that watched how that unfolded, Saints are up two to one in that series. They've got games four and five at home. I think anybody would have thought that St. Paul was going to finish off that series. But uh, Winnipeg kept believing, um, you know, Reggie Abercrombie, as he often did, uh, he had a really inspiring speech in uh, the clubhouse. Um, I think what has never been told before is that, uh, um, you know, and the saints rightfully so, I mean, you won in an exciting fashion there, but, um, you know, allegedly they were, you know, really yucking it up in the clubhouse, you know, as if they had won the series and you kind of hear that through the walls and at the gold eyes clubhouse and Reggie basically got up and just kind of fired the guys up and said, Hey, this isn't over. They haven't won three games yet. And, um, you know, we're still in this. And, you know, of course, game four was kind of a meat grinder. Um, you know, both starting pitchers got uh, pulled out of the game fairly early, and it was just kind of a battle of the bullpens. And, um, you know, Winnipeg goes ahead on a two-out bases-loaded walk against the reliever of the year in Ryan Rodabaugh. And, uh, you know, St. Paul ends up putting the tying run in base in the bottom of the ninth, but uh, Winston Abreu is able to get the job done. And then, of course, uh, game five the next night, uh, because of the rainout, in game one, there was no day off. So both Mikey O'Brien and Mark Hamburger were pitching on short rest. And, um, you know, the Saints behind Hamburger, they won game one, one nothing in Winnipeg to take the early lead in that series. But uh, that night, Mikey got the better of Hamburger and 
Uh, he threw, I think it was seven shutout innings, and then uh, Capion threw a, a scoreless eighth. Um, Nate Hansen had a homer off Winston Abreu in the ninth. Uh, I, um, the Saints did bring the tying run to the plate, but uh, Abreu struck out. Um, Vince Fazio, of course, was the MVP the year before to end the series, and uh, I believe it had been 14 years at that point since the Gold Eyes had won a game five on the road. And, um, you know, the Saints had, you know, certainly in 2015 and for a good chunk of 2016, they had really taken it to, to the Gold Eyes. And um, it was, uh, I think that was really, really satisfying. Obviously, you know, winning the championship the following week um, was, was kind of a pinnacle, but um, that, that, was, that was big. That was a really enjoyable moment, uh, that game five in St. Paul. And I'll the mentor Aldiz so much to Sean Aronson. Okay, sorry. Oh no, Let's I mentor Aldiz. I just want to. I just want to give a quick yeah, 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 go ahead, get it in the uh, yeah the Securian Club. Uh, he would always hook me up there, um, and I know that's like not a cheap uh, ticket to get in there, um, but uh, that that buffet in there was was second or none. So just thanks to Sean. Well, let's head out east to Milwaukee. Uh, you know what? No comment on that one. All right. Yeah, you know what? And I, yeah, yeah, okay, well, you're right. I heard about this l- last summer. Okay, l- let's do the Chicagoland as a whole. You can kind of clump um, Chicago, Gary, and Kane County all into one if you'd like. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, let's, uh, all right, Lake Country, um, I'll never forget the, uh, yeah, oh yeah, uh, forgot about them, first game there, um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, the press box wasn't built, so I was in the, uh, I guess it was their version of the securing club, uh, kind of standing on a trunk to try and see over the, the, the sellout crowd they had there to try and do the game, that was, uh, that was an adventure, uh, it was kind of tough there in the moment, but looking back, it's actually pretty funny. And it was one of those, you know, kind of only in the minors type experiences. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, that's my memory of Lake Country. Um, King County, uh, just Joe Brand, really, uh, and the whole organization is super professional. Um, you can see why they were so successful when they were an affiliated ball. Um, they put on a great show there. Uh, Joe is just a fantastic person and broadcaster. And, um, you know, I really, I know he's, he, he did a White Sox game not recently and he's gotten to do uh, a fair amount of Blackhawks games uh, this winter. And, uh, you know, I really hope he's able to, um, you know, get a full-time major league job here soon because he's, he's definitely good enough and he's put in the time. Um, but yeah, just the whole Cougars experience is a lot of fun. Um, you know, even though they've, they've only been in the league for a couple of years, uh, Chicago dogs, uh, just gorgeous stadium. Um, you know, it's another kind of like a Fargo where, um, Nice hotel in a nice area. Also, a lot of stuff to do around there um, at the ballpark. Uh, and the, the facility itself was really uh, really well done, if I'm not mistaken. It was the same company that built CHS Field. Um, so always a good time going out to uh, Chicago. Um, and then, yeah, no comment on Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, uh, the Railcats. I mean, um, you know, I, I think they've done a terrific job at the ballpark it's kind of like shaw park where um it's it's older a lot older than it actually looks right um i think the steel yard opened in 03 um so it, it's going on what 20 years 21 years 
Uh, it doesn't look like it. it. You know, it still looks much more modern than that, and that's a testament to, um, you know, the Railcats organization and the city for um, upkeeping it. And I always enjoyed going out there, even though it was uh, it was always a grind, you know, one playing against, you know, the Greg Tiger teams that, you know, were going to um, make it hard for you until the very last out. And, you know, just the spacious dimensions up until a couple of years ago, you know, it was tough to, um, you know, wait back on a three-run home run there. But uh, it was always competitive, and I enjoyed the, the atmosphere out there. They've got a really loyal fan base, had a chance to, to meet a number of, of their longtime season ticket holders over the years. But, um, you know, and, um, you know, I just I, I enjoyed the gear, even though it was one of the longer trips you had to make. I, uh, I enjoyed competing, um, you know, watching the competition against the, the Railcats. All right, let's head back out west. Other than your first green onion brat experience, Sioux Falls. Um, man, it's uh, Sioux Falls. Good memory from Sioux Falls. Um, well, I guess it happened. So my first year in Winnipeg in 2014, uh, of all the places to do this, um, the Gold Eyes pitched their first ever no-hitter. And to this day, it's still the only no-hitter in franchise history. So this was uh, June, I think it was June 4th, 2014. So I was like less than a month out of the job. Um, and it was the second game of doubleheader. The, uh, you know, just, we were going to bullpen it. I think there were five, uh, five relievers covered the game. And uh, in the most hitter, hitter-friendly ballpark out there, uh, they, they combined on the no-hitter. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Sioux City. Uh, Sioux City. I um, yeah. I guess the. I think the first thing that comes to mind is Steve Montgomery and the job that he's done. I mean, uh, that's that's the best turnaround in the history of independent baseball. What he's been able to do, and you know, not just the you know the success that he's had in the time that he's been the manager of the Explorers, but. You know, really, when you, you dig deep into the numbers and, you know, how many tough seasons the, you know, the Explorers had leading up to him coming in, I, uh, I don't remember exactly what their record was, but, you know, the, the all-time Explorers record was significantly under 500, you know, from 1993 to, you know, 2014. And, um, you know, not only did Mongo turn it around, but, you know, they, they've been so good now for almost 10 years that, uh, like, the the explorer's all-time record now is actually over 500 so he's literally turned them into winners uh so i, I think that's a really great story and um you know really knowledgeable guy uh, i know he really put his time in to get that managing opportunity and uh you know he's a guy that I, i'm definitely going to be staying in contact with and you know i'm happy for the success that he's had and um you know hopefully he can you know kind of complete the resume so to speak and uh you know the x's can get that first championship Lincoln. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess uh, it's got to be like that's where it started, right? So I was I was the uh, broadcast intern in uh, in Lincoln in 2007. Uh, it was an unbelievable experience. Um, you know, I, I've told the story before where um, so the Celtics had a really good year that season. They they won the first half. In 2007, they clinched against St. Paul at Haymarket Park, and um, Bill Dolman, the original Salt Dogs uh, broadcaster, and I were kind of finishing up the 
post game show, and you know, this is I'm just kind of a wide eyed intern at this point, and don't really understand the, a lot of what's going on, or really understand the concept of you know champagne showers and indie ball, um, and I had no intention of like going down to the clubhouse for any of that kind of stuff. But uh, Charlie, you know, the longtime president of the organization, uh, went out of his way. He actually came up to the booth as we were getting off the air and uh, he dumped a couple beers on, on Bill and I to kind of make us part of the celebration. It was something that uh, uh, I was very appreciative of and uh, have, have never forgotten to this day. I know you had touched upon it earlier, but um, Kansas City? Um, let's see, Kansas City. Um, another great, another great spot. Um, yeah, I would, I just think the overall experience, it's another kind of like a Fargo, Chicago, where there's just a lot of stuff you can do there. Um, gorgeous ballpark. Uh, they, they've always drawn well. Um, and, and literally there's so much to do just in the immediate area. Um, you know, you've got the Dave and Busters there, you've got the legends, there, there's plenty of food options out there. Um, it's just like a great place to be, you know, it's almost like the, the ballpark is just kind of a, a cherry on top there. Um, and, and from what I understand, this is long before my time, but I, when I, they first built it in 03, it was all like cornfields and none of that other stuff existed and it, it just kind of kept developing it over over time and turned it into what it is today but uh yeah that, you know i would just say the experience in kansas city you know i'd always look forward to um our trips when we went out there just because you know um you know in addition to you know being able to be around the team you know you knew there was the opportunity to just kind of relax a little bit and you know enjoy some things away from the field once the, the game was over all right, um, like the Chicago area, um, just hit upon um, whatever pops up in your head for the Texas ballparks. Um, yeah, so there's only one left, right? So uh, Cleburne. Um, right. I mean, I actually have a lot of lot of good memories in Cleburne. We, uh, it's another place where we did the first game there uh, in 17. Um, so I, you know, I got to meet Michael and Brad for the first time. We're still you know, really good friends to this day. And, um, you know, that was actually a really good series. We, we won the first two, um, you know, coming off the, the championship in 16, but then they actually, uh, to their credit, uh, as an expansion team, they, um, they walked off each of the next two games to, to split that inaugural series. So that was actually a, a really competitive series to begin that year. And, um, you know, that's another part that, uh, you know, Josh Robertson, obviously, you know, is uh, my GM and, in Wichita, you know, he was down there for, for, you know, a couple of years. So it was great to, to see him and see him kind of turn around their fortunes on the field um, in 2019. Uh, and then, of course, the Loafing Dog, you know, one of the great sponsors of the Railroaders, which was, uh, you know, kind of a, a local greasy joint, uh, greasy spoon uh, hot dog joint that uh, was right by the hotel that we stayed at the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I, I was eating there like twice a day, it seemed. So, uh, yeah, shout out to, to Casey at uh, Loafing Dog in Cleveland. Uh, runs a great operation out there, and uh, that's, that's one of the things I'm going to miss the most is uh, eating those uh, eating those hot dogs down in Cleveland, Texas. Did I see right on the American Association site, was your first game with Winnipeg, was that in Amarillo? 
Ah, uh, yes, which is ironic because um, there's another first I was involved in. So I did the the very first game in Amarillo when they joined the league in 2011. Uh, Wichita was a team that went down there, so we were kind of the um, the guinea pigs for uh, for the Amarillo experience. Which um, you know anyone that that was down there um, knows how uh, scary it was going up to the press box and uh, you know just kind of how out of date that facility was in general. Uh, so it was uh, it was kind of ironic that my first game in Winnipeg was uh, back in Amarillo, Texas. Now, um, we'll save the big two for last here. Um, Wichita. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a huge part of my life. Um, you know, we, we were, uh, geez, I was there for, for six years and, um, you know, was there when the, the organization started. Obviously, they had a ton of success. They were the, you know, by winning percentage, they were the winningest team in the history of, of indie ball for their, um, you know, the ten, yeah, eleven years that they were uh, that they were in existence. So that's you know better than than Fargo, Winnipeg, St. Paul, Gary, like all those teams. Their their winning percentage was was better than all those clubs, and um, just fantastic people there from Josh to Kevin Hooper and, and you know Brian Turner, Jeremy Mock, all the people in the front office that you know I kind of came up with. Um, you know, we're all like really young, early to mid twenties, and um, there were a lot of really good memories there. So I was, I was happy they were able to get that championship in '14. You know, it was the year after I uh, moved on to Winnipeg. Um, it was really sad to see the ballpark get torn down, and, and very sad to see, you know, the organization essentially forced out. Um, you know, I think they would have been really successful uh, if they'd been given the chance to move into the uh, the new ballpark that they had built. Um, so it's kind of unfortunate how it ended. But, um, you know, hopefully their their uh, legacy will live on for a long time. And, um, yeah, it's uh, nothing but great memories about the Wingnuts and, you know, all the success that they had. And, of course, Winnipeg. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, once again, just uh, a huge part of my life. I mean, it's uh, this would have been my 10th year, and, um, you know, it was one of the best days of my life. I, I still remember it is, uh, you know, honestly, it was right around this time in 2014. I got the, um, the call from Sam and Andrew at the same time, uh, offering a job. And, you know, I was, I was ecstatic. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, like I said, I could see myself in Winnipeg for another 10 plus years. I really could have, it just, you know, a lot of things kind of happen at once to, bring this opportunity with the Mets together and um, yeah, I wish them nothing but success. I hope they win more and more championships and um, continue to, to rebuild and, and, you know, return closer and closer to, to normal as we, you know, move further away from the, the pandemic. And, um, you know, I just have fond memories of everything. There, the people that I worked with there, the people I worked for, um, everybody at the stadium, everyone at the radio station at CJNU, and, uh, you know, certainly, you know, Rick and the coaches and every single player that, um, you know, made my job easy every night. Uh, I just can't thank all of them enough. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a special fan base out there. There's not a whole lot more to say. Like, they're engaged in the game. They know the team. They know the league. They know baseball. And, um, you know, it's uh, the fan base is second to none in, in the minor leagues. And uh, I'm, I'm going to miss them quite a bit. 
That's fantastic, Steve. Love those memories. I enjoyed hearing every one of them. I got to honestly tell you, that was fantastic. But before we, uh, yeah, let you well give done. us a final thought. Before you give us a final thought here, Steve, uh, I just want to say on behalf of Kevin and myself, we're very appreciative of you spending time with us to come on shows and talk Winnipeg Gold Eyes baseball with us, American Association stuff. Share your stories about things from the past, and uh, I've always enjoyed listening to your broadcast. So. On behalf of the both of us, I just want to thank you for being a part of us uh, here as we've given our time here on the American Association. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's, it's mutual. Um, you know, I appreciate everything that you guys have done and continue to do. And, uh, I mean, you guys cover the league as well as, as anybody out there. And I know that's uh, um, it's a labor of love, and it, it doesn't go unnoticed. So, uh, yeah, you know, hats off to you guys for – being passionate about it, it's uh, you know it's it's the best league in the minor league in the minor leagues. Uh, I don't care if it's affiliate or independent. Um, it's a it's a fantastic product, and you know hopefully more and more people uh, start to pay attention to it. Well, Steve, this could be your final final thought for us. So uh, we'll we'll throw the floor to you. Um, yeah, just uh, just want to thank everybody for for you know listening and you know taking time out to listen to the games for the. For the last nine years, um, you know, I, I can, you know, I had my bad days like everybody else, but I can promise you, I, I, I did everything I could, leading up to the broadcast to, to try and put on the, the best show as possible for, for everyone. So, um, hopefully that shown through, and um, you know, I just, uh, I really appreciate it. You know, you guys and everybody, uh, everybody that tuned in, and uh, everybody that's been involved in this great league, and, and I wish everybody nothing but the best. And um, I just, I just hope uh, continued success. Uh, and greater things for, for the Gold Eyes and, and for the American Association. Fantastic. Steve Schuster, thanks for joining us this week. Yeah, thanks for doing this. You bet, guys. Thank you. Uh, well, Kevin, great having Steve on the show. And, and i got to tell you, you know, I always like Steve, done, done a great job with the broadcasting, but that whole Hornbachers thing, I have an even greater respect for him now. Yeah, he was definitely talking my language on that one. Um, between that, uh, I have not experienced a loafing dog in Cleburne, but now I want to get down to Cleburne all that much more. So um, Steve was um, hitting, on all the, hitting on all the right notes tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, a great opportunity for him. You know, Kevin, we talk a lot about how you know, players get an opportunity to get back in affiliate ball, and you see coaches and managers getting that opportunity. Broadcasters have gotten some chances recently to get into uh, other gigs out there. But, man, it's great to see a, a guy find a different avenue to get into affiliate ball. And, you know, Steve has been a guy who's great with those analytics. You know he's going to do a great job. And I think it shows you just in general that don't get locked into the career you're in. Always keep striving to make yourself better, and if you work hard enough at it, you know, an opportunity is going to pop up somewhere that you never expected it. Yeah, and I think it says a lot about him that he didn't just sit around in the pandemic, not sure if the team was going to be playing. He found another way to make himself marketable within a major league organization. And I mean, that, that's a very interesting pathway to wind up taking, and I and mean, you and I have kind of railed against the the statistical side of this a lot of times that it's maybe gotten a little bit overboard. But man, here's a guy who found a way to make a, a, another career move for himself, and I I think he's going to do a great job with the Mets. Yeah, it's made me feel like I wasted my pandemic. I guess my 
my biggest accomplishment during it was I binge watched the entire series of Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> hey, don't call it a waste. So, well, Kevin, let's talk a little bit about the news around uh, the league here, and that's Sioux Falls looking like maybe we're going to get a ballpark. You know, it's in the very preliminary stages, but you have to like the direction it's going that that the city and other people are at least, there's at least a dialogue out there and there's an actual location. And uh, that provides a lot of momentum that, you know, they can get the ball rolling. And if you have something you can show people, if they can see what the finished product is going to be, it just makes it that much easier to sell it than rather than just throwing out a vague idea without many specifics to it. So, you know, last week was, um, I believe, was a good week as far as um, getting something going in Sioux Falls. My understanding is that yeah, this might have been in the works a lot longer than any of us have realized. So... But we hope to look forward to hearing more good news from Sioux Falls and a, a long-awaited move downtown. Yeah, I, I think everybody agrees. Uh, if you're involved in Sioux Falls community or just American Association of Baseball or whatever, that while while the birdcage has some, you know, some fun aspects to it, uh, and but this is a club that if they're going to wind up really being able to compete in this league right now, there, there's got to there's got to be a new upgrade and um you know maybe this winds up being the platform out there but i hope that's the case uh we've been lobbying for it for i think five years now on the show and hopefully that'll wind up working out so looking forward to it well, kevin let's talk a little bit about transactions going on around the league here last week you and i talked about uh the re-signing there to the starting rotation for the fargo moorhead redhawks and they take another step towards getting that group back together as peyton wigginton had his a contract renewed, and they also add right-handed pitcher Brendan Knoll. Uh, but Wigginton, man, fantastic playoff performance for this club. Was you know we talked about the big three. He really made it a big four for the team last year. He did once he got his his stuff established. Um, coming straight out of college, mind you, he was a huge part of that pitching staff and. You know, as we talked about on the show, when you got to have um, X amount of rookies, I believe Wigington will be still classified as a rookie. That's a that's a pretty nice um, arm to have in a rookie spot in your in your on your team roster. Joe Jones also has his tr- contract transferred to the Boston Red Sox, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, Kevin, is that I think watching in the playoffs. Uh, Jones struggled a little bit for for the Red Hawks, and I think some are going to look at that and think, wow, that's kind of surprised that he had his contract purchased that way after struggling down the stretch. But I think that says a lot about the the level of competition in the American Association. You know, you're facing some outstanding teams night after night. This guy has very good stuff, and he got a well-deserved chance back with the Red Sox. And I... A lot of these teams, when they drop out of an organization and go to somewhere like Fargo, you know, there's already a book on them. So I don't think the Red Sox are going to let a little bit of a rocky postseason reformulate their opinion of Jones. And But, you know, like you, I was kind of thinking the same thing, too, that um, 
I'm thinking, I think they got the wrong guy out of the bullpen. I would have um, went and signed Alex DeBoard, but, but you know, they're the major leagues, and I'm a guy that's got to punch a clock in for a living, so uh, whose opinion are you going to take in that? Max Murphy re-signs for next season. We knew that was going to happen there at, at some point. Uh, Malik Smith re-signing with the Kansas City Monarchs. Uh, a guy with major league experience really fit in in the top of that lineup for the Monarchs. And, you know, Joe Calfabietro likes those guys with speed and with experience like that. No doubt. Just some uh, typical Calfabietro kind of signing a guy with big league experience that's going to be a table setter in that lineup, especially if you give him a full season. You know, we want to get back to Winnipeg. We saw Greg Taggart uh, make a bunch of other signings, too, of guys that he has managed with Gary. So kind of interesting to see. Is he is this going to be something where he's going to go with the familiar young guys in the lineup, or if it's if he just kind of hand-picked a few to come in? And my apologies for not clumping these together the way I should have since I had mentioned about Murphy. But uh, they do want, wind up signing Dason Crow's infielder, infielder Jordan Howard and outfielder Javian Williams. Williams played, I believe, last year for the Gary South Shore Railcats, so a guy that he's a little bit familiar with. Plus, the team had an interesting set of transactions today they were involved in. They trade Zach Ryan to Gateway for Aiden Fernandez, who they then trade along with Alex Manassa to Quebec, bringing in Samuel Adams, and then his contract is signed today officially with the team. So, like, I, you know, you're wanting to get the guy you want, and Adams looks like the person they were looking for. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it sounds like ahead, uh, if you watch The Office, it sounds like the episode where they had the garage sale where Dwight um, kept um, swapping stuff until he got what he wanted. <laughs> exactly right. Lake Country signs right-handed pitcher Nick Howard, uh, infielder Ashton McGee, and they signed today out, uh, Lamar Briggs returning back to the club. Lamar gave him a little bit of pop to that to his bat out last season. It has a, a good swing to him right there. So I, I like that signing by the club. Uh, an interesting one, Kevin, for me this week was Milwaukee, first of all, signs left-handed pitcher Brian Pena, but a guy you and I have watched since his time coming into the American Association and Jake Mathis, released by Milwaukee. This is a guy that I think both of us always felt was like right on the cusp of being something special, and I don't mean to diminish because everybody's special in this way, and Jake was a great guy, but we, we always thought he had such great stuff and, and could be a dominant guy in this league, but just couldn't get to that next level, and sad to see him, him released by the Milkman. We just kept waiting for him to get to that next year, and you know there was like one year I believe his ERA was pretty decent, but he didn't have the wins to show forth, and I think the next year his ERA was up, but then he had actually racked up a bunch of wins, but he just, like you said, he just never really got there, but he was a serviceable arm for several years in this league, and I think right there that's just something when you think of the quality of hitters that he had faced. Absolutely. Worked as a starter, long guy, setup guy, even closed for a little bit. Uh, had very, very important guy to the Kansas City Monarchs for a little while there. Was helped that team win a championship, and... Uh, just, just a guy, you know, a, a person who found a way to, to continue to stay in the league, and I think that's a testament to the kind of arm that he had there. So hopefully he'll be back with somebody out there. We don't want to see Jake fall by the wayside here. Uh, Sioux City trades 
infielder Gabe Snyder to Ottawa for left-handed pitcher Kevin Escorcia. And Sioux Falls re-signs right-handed pitcher Colby Wyatt, who was very good in that bullpen last season. So I'm glad to see Mike Meyer working to get that going. Uh, traveling around the Frontier League, Kevin, uh, we have a few signings out there. So um, Blake Berry, a, a lot of guys, a lot of American Association feel to uh, this week there in the Frontier League, by the way. So Bl- Blake Berry, who played last season in the American Association to start the, the year, uh, now, now with the Schomburg Boomers. Um, they also, Brandon Kamenier, I believe this way to say that, is also re-signed by the club. Uh, there's a lot of guys. Nick, Nick Gata, uh, Sioux Falls Canaries guy, will be joining the Washington Wild thing. So Tom Baith reaching back to his past league to bring in Nick Gata. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds signed right-handed pitcher John Murphy from Gateway. The uh, Jeffrey Para has his contract purchased by the Tampa Bay Rays. And a, a, a kind of a fun thing that uh, Kevin and I always like to talk about is promotions named by Windy City this year. Uh, those are always kind of fun things to watch out there. And I, I know that over the years, Kevin, that there have been some great promotions that you've got to enjoy in heading out to ballparks, especially in St. Paul. Oh, no doubt about it. And after a while, you just keep, you start thinking, okay, I think they've done it all. But then once in a while, you know, somebody takes a risk um, and comes up with something you haven't seen before. I mean, we saw it with, like, the the, the whole ballpark food fight in St. Paul. And who could ever imagine that something like that could ever be pulled off or the the ballpark pillow fight and the playing playing twister on the field so it just goes to show you if you get get the right people in the room and you think far enough out of the box um that great idea can pop up i I do want to say the most important the most impressive part of that food fight was that was a night game and the team had an 11 o'clock game the next morning still got the ballpark all cleaned up and ready to go so that was pretty awesome. Also, uh, right-handed pitcher and Francisco remember the, the, remember the cleaning crew. They were supposed to have a cleaning crew there, and the cleaning crew didn't show up. You're right. You're right. I do remember that now. Yeah, they had a bunch of people scrambling around to try to get that all taken care of. I do remember that now. Uh, Francisco Jimenez, who pitched last year for the uh, Lake Country Dockhounds, returning back to the Frontier League, joining the Tri-City Va- Valley Cats for, for next year there. So. A lot of American Association guys making their way back into the Frontier League coming up this year. The Atlantic League didn't really have uh, very much exciting news other than the fact that they are naming their silver anniversary team in 25 years of the Atlantic League and Mike Guilfoyle uh, named as the left-handed reliever coming out of the Bridgeport Bluefish uh, from 1998 to 2003 was chosen to the all-time team there. So congratulations to Mike for that honor. And uh, I think, did I miss anything that's going on? No, I think that's it, Kevin. I think that's all we got going on throughout independent baseball. So we're liking that. So how about a uh, final thought for us this week, Kevin? Well, my final thought, I'm if I get the time, I'm going to sit down and put this in the article form. So I guess you folks may get to see this before I put it in print. 
But I did a weekend trip. Um, health cleared up just in time. Drove down to Sioux Falls. Caught a Sioux Falls Stampede hockey game. Sellout crowd of 10,600 plus. Why, you ask? Wiener races. There was uh, 40 local dogs. I believe they were all adaptable. Participating in wiener dog races, two races during the first intermission and then a championship race of four dogs during the second intermission. And, you know, the Stampede went all out on this. The team for that night were the were the Sioux Falls. They renamed themselves the Sioux Falls Wiener Dogs, had special jerseys, sold all kinds of wiener, Sioux Falls Wiener Dogs T-shirts, hoodies, anything you can imagine, souvenir pucks, jerseys. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, where was this when the Stampede ownership owned the Canaries? Where was this out-of-the-box thinking? And I think it goes to show that Sioux Falls is a sports market. But, you know, like we talked about, they're going to need the new stadium, I think, to really draw the numbers that they need to be a viable franchise. And I just think the current park is holding them back. I got a chance to catch up with Randy Preston. Uh, Randy, as regular listeners would know, has been on the show with us during this offseason. He's the public address announcer for the Stampede or on this night, the Sioux Falls Wiener Dogs. So I got a chance to talk to him and see how things are going with the winter job and everything. And then on Sunday, drove down to Sioux City, Caught up with a favorite of ours and throughout the league, Connor Ryan. Connor Ryan is now doing his thing for the Sioux City Musketeers hockey team. And he, get, he still does some interviews on ice, uh, be, interviewed the coach before the game and talked to players during the, both the intermissions. So fans of Connor Ryan still get to hear him a little bit um, on the ice with the Sioux City Musketeers, but he's, he's very happy with what he's doing now looks great and it was um it was great to catch up with Connor Ryan down in Sioux City. So fun weekend all together. Gotta tell you folks though a lot of snow in Sioux Falls. Uh, <laughs> I thought we got hit hard in Minnesota, but boy driving out to South Dakota. Once we got into southwest Minnesota and into South Dakota, there was just so much snow piled up. It, on the interstate, a lot of the shoulders still had snow on it because there was just nowhere to put it. So it's kind of rare I ever get a chance to see South Dakota in that way. You know, usually I'm traveling out there during the summer. But, uh, you know, good weekend all around. Good to see things are going good out there. Definitely different to see um, the area around the birdcage with all the parking lots filled up with people. There was a couple other shows going on in the convention center at the same time. So fun all around weekend. Man, you, you got to feel like the Chicago dog has got to have a wiener dog day. I mean, man, that just, it just sings to you. I mean, man, how can we not have that? Wow. Well, that is awesome, Kevin. I'm loving that. And, Kevin, for fans out there, what, what are we going to have? What, what's going on out the, the 10th inning stretch? And, and uh, what's Kevin Luco writing up about besides that? Because I know bowling's still going on. Do we still have stuff happening with that? Yes, I'm still um, keeping in touch with my with the locals on everything that's going on in the terrible Minnesota bowling world. 
you know, it was a funny thing. I, my wife and I were kind of noticing because there's been rumors about the bowling alley being sold or shutting down or, you know, just changing ownership. And it seemed like any time I had a headline that would accidentally kind of look like something was happening, I'd get a lot more hits on the blog. So I put that to the test, and this week's um, episode, I call it Fairbowl Bowling Observer, free beer this week. And lo and behold, in the first couple hours, I had more hits than I did the whole last week combined. But like I said, if I get a chance to sit down this week, I'll, I'll put my pictures and thoughts together and and do a little wrap-up of the trip to Sioux Falls and Sioux City. And we'll put it on the 10th inning stretch blog. I do have a hockey one I've rarely used. And, you know, in Minnesota, the, they call Minnesota the state of hockey. I, I had a blog that was called My Altered State of Hockey. But I think we'll, we'll go with the 10th inning stretch blog for it. So I'll get that out on all my social media outlets at 10th, and it's at 10thinningstretch.blogspot.com. And I know you're um, you're still in the middle, but if not, wrapping up uh, recaps of the 2022 seasons of all the American Association teams. Yep, tomorrow will be the last one with the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks, and I'll get back on and just focus in on stuff going on around the league and evaluating trades and uh, stuff. So my, my intention is to truly make American Association daily, daily this year. So... Uh, and, and keep that up to date. So come out and check that out at Minor League Sports Report. Well, I think that that wraps us up here tonight. So once again, we want to thank Steve Schuster for joining us and excited to see where he'll be going on and, and the stuff that he's going to do in the future. We know Steve will do great out there. Hopefully next week, uh, we'll talk to him this, uh, this week to see if we can get somebody from Sioux Falls to come out and talk to us a little bit about what this news might mean for a new stadium because uh, I think that's big news here for the American Association. So we'll look forward to that for next week. So for Kevin Lucco, I'm Rob Panier. We'll see you next time on This Week in the Association.